welcome to our sermon podcast for wanderers, seekers, and thinkers, for deconstructing and reconstructing. This is a feed of Open Door Church, a faith community focused on God's love and grace, a progressive church built around action, community, and people. We've got a guest speaker with us this week, so enjoy a fresh perspective and check back often as we're posting new content every week. My name is Daniel. I'll be preaching today. So over the last little while, we've been hearing a lot about shalom um, and how it means a little more than maybe what we thought it meant, meant before. It doesn't just mean peace, but there's a more holistic meaning to it. There's a lot more to it. And it's about being whole and being complete and being made right. And as I was thinking about this, we, we've heard about shalom and community and in, within our own bodies. And when I think about being whole and complete, everything's got to be there. Nothing can be excluded if you're going to be whole and complete. It's about being harmonious. And I have to ask, how can a community be whole and complete by excluding some of its members? How can you be, how can you have shalom if you're not including everyone. So I want to talk about inclusivity as part of Shalom. Now, inclusivity means intentionally including people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized. Um, There are many layers to this, and as a straight white male, I don't necessarily have this breadth of experience with this. I have not been excluded from much. I've been included all my life, whether it's in the church, whether it's at school, whether it's in society as a whole. And so I want to talk about someone else who was included and reached out to those who were excluded. It's one of my favorite minor characters in the Bible, and his name is Philip the Evangelist. Now, evangelist kind of can trigger some different definitions in people's minds. They maybe think of a televangelist who, um, yeah, I won't get into that. Anyways, but that's not Philip. Philip is the only person in the Bible who's described as an evangelist. He's the evangelist. But he's only mentioned four times. And each of those four times, he's specifically including people that are otherwise excluded or marginalized. And he's doing it intentionally. In that way, he's he's continuing the work of Jesus, who when you look at Jesus in the Bible, he's constantly reaching out and including people that the society around him rejected, intentionally including children, intentionally including uh, women, intentionally including everyone around him that the society had pushed away. And so I want to talk about Philip because he's a very interesting guy. He's one of the most progressive figures in the Bible, And each time he is including people intentionally. So the first time he shows up is in Acts 6, verse 5. Um, It's a very brief mention. But uh, basically what's going on is the early church, we often have this kind of elevated view of the early church. That everything was done right. I know I've been to churches where they say, yeah, we want to be a New Testament church. Where we do everything that the early church did because what they did was perfect. It wasn't. There were imperfections in the early church. There, were, there was even discrimination. 
And this is one of the times where that discrimination shows up. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, who would have been Greek-speaking Jews, complained against the Hebraic Jews, who were the Hebrew-speaking Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So this first mention of Philip is almost in passing. He's one of what comes to be called the seven. Um, And this story is the story of the first deacons of the church. Now, deacons in different traditions and denominations, it has a different meaning depending on what church you go to. But deacons are always about serving. And often it means serving the poor, the sick, the hungry, the imprisoned. And so these were people that were chosen to serve specifically, in this case, widows, who were particularly vulnerable in a patriarchal society. Um, and so the Bible repeatedly exhorts God's people to, to take care of widows and the orphans because this is the lowest of the low in that society. And these are people that are excluded. And even within this group of people that were excluded, a subset of that group was further excluded. These Greek-speaking uh, Jewish Christians. Like, this isn't discrimination based on race because they're all Jewish. They're all of the same race. This is a discrimination that's based on class. The Hellenistic Jews were considered lower class. They followed Greek customs. They were Greek-speaking. And the Hebraic Jewish Christians, they spoke Hebrew, and they followed Hebrew customs, and they felt they were above the, the people that followed these Greek customs because they were more Christian. They were more Jewish. They, they felt they were better. And so that's when, the Philip, when Philip and these other deacons step in. They are, interestingly, all Greek-named people. They all have Greek names. So they're most likely all Hellenistic Jewish Christians. These, so this marginalized group of people, they take seven people who would relate to them, who would know what they're going through, and put them in charge. It's, um, I like to almost think of this as one of the earliest affirmative action programs. They're intentionally including this group of people that were marginalized and excluded and making sure that they are included. And so that's the first time that we see Philip. He's part of this group that sees a marginalized group of people and includes them, makes sure that their widows are being taken care of. So the first time we see Philip in the Bible, he's a community organizer, and he's battling discrimination on the basis of class. Um, Things get wilder from there. Philip is kind of a crazy guy. We don't get much of his personality, but when I see what he does, I, I think, man, this guy just loved people 
no matter what, no matter who they were. So the second time we see Philip, he's in Samaria at a sorcerer's house, and he's baptizing everybody willy-nilly, just baptizing everyone. Um, one of his fellow deacons, who's the most well-known of, of those uh, seven, is named Stephen. He's otherwise known as Stephen the Martyr. He's the first martyr in, in Acts. Um, and he was killed by this guy named Saul, who you might have heard of. Um, Saul persecuted the early church, and a number of people, like Philip, had to flee Jerusalem to flee this persecution. And so he takes off. Everyone except basically the 12 apostles, they get out of Dodge. And so when Philip leaves Jerusalem, he goes to Samaria. So it says those in Acts 8, 4 to 14, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now, here's why this is important. Um, Really, when people think of Samaria, they think of Samaritans, they think of the Good Samaritan. There's a story told by Jesus about the Good Samaritan. It's really well known. But the reason why that story would have had such an impact is that the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. The idea of a good Samaritan would have been astonishing to them. They would have said, how, could, how is that possible? They hated Samaritans, and it was a discrimination based on race. Um, so there's a whole history between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people that is complicated and I won't get into. But the first chance that Philip gets to leave Jerusalem, he heads straight to the Jewish people's hated enemy. The first place he goes is Samaria. He's just been in this experience where he's seen marginalized people and uh, been tasked with helping them. And I feel like that's probably had a huge impact on him because he immediately goes, who else has been excluded? Who else needs to hear about Jesus that isn't getting the opportunity? And he he heads straight to Samaria. All the apostles are still in Jerusalem, preaching exclusively to the Jewish people. He heads straight to Samaria. His most enthusiastic convert is Simon the sorcerer, who would have been exactly the type of person that would have confirmed all of the discriminatory beliefs that the Jewish people had about Samaria. It would have been like, look, they practice magic. They're, they're crazy. They, they don't, they won't understand. They won't understand about Jesus. You can't trust those people, they might have said. They would have feared and despised someone like Simon the sorcerer. But Philip didn't fear or despise everybody. And Simon believed and was baptized. And I I really love that the apostles in Jerusalem hear about this and they're like, oh man, we've got to send 
our biggest guns, Peter and John, the, the biggest names among the 12 apostles. We've got to get them over there and figure out what is going on. Um, and they have a run-in with Simon the sorcerer and, and like set him straight on a couple things that he does. But, but what is fascinating about this is that they're not just stunned by Samaritans, these people that they had all these discriminatory beliefs about based on race. They were changed. They saw what Philip had done and realized, oh, when Jesus said everybody, he meant everybody. We can't hate the Samaritans. And on their way back to Jerusalem, it says that they preached the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And that's like the first instance of the gospel being taken beyond the Jewish people. And, and it comes like not long after there was this miracle where all the disciples were speaking in tongues and everyone heard the gospel in their own language. And it's like, oh, that means that everybody should hear this, right? They stay in Jerusalem until Philip takes off to Samaria. So the second time we see Philip, he's, he's intentionally including people who are marginalized based on race. And then we've got the, the biggest story where Philip shows up, which you might have heard of before. It's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, it's, now, this is a pretty well-known story. I'll, just, I'll run through it pretty quickly here. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So this story is synonymous with Philip's reputation as an evangelist. I remember reading this story when I was younger, and it was laid out as an example of this is how you share the gospel with someone. But I want to focus not on that. I want to focus on the eunuch for a moment. Um, I'm assuming we all know what a eunuch is. Um, and the eunuch is returning from Ethiopia, from Jer returning to Ethiopia from Jerusalem where he traveled to worship, which is really intriguing because there's several reasons why that wouldn't work. He wouldn't be allowed to worship in Jerusalem. 
the temple in Jerusalem had what we might call layers of exclusion. At the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, and this is where God's very presence was said to be. And there was this giant veil, like we think of a veil, we think of something gauzy and thin. No, this was like a big, heavy curtain. It's the same big, heavy curtain that was torn in two when Jesus died, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible because that means the presence of God is opened up to everybody. But the Holy of Holies, one person could go in there, the high priest, and he went one day a year on Yom Kippur. So the Holy of Holies was very exclusive. One person could go in and actually intimately experience the presence of God. That was the idea. And then outside of that was the holy place where only the priests could enter. Outside that was the inner court where Jewish people were allowed, mainly male Jews, unless uh, a woman was presenting a sacrifice. Outside of that was the outer court, which was also known as the court of women, um, which is where most of the female Jews were allowed to go in. And outside the temple itself was the court of the Gentiles. And so each step away from the Holy of Holies was another step away from the presence of God. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch has a couple strikes against him. First of all, he's a foreigner. He's a Gentile. So he couldn't enter the temple at all. He would have only been allowed to go to the court of the Gentiles. Unfortunately, he's also a eunuch, and eunuchs weren't allowed to worship at the temple at all. Eunuchs were forbidden from worshiping with the people. They were excluded completely. Now, let me sound... Now, in Ethiopia, this eunuch was a court official. He was in charge of the treasury. He was a very important person. But outside of Ethiopia, eunuchs were scorned. They were seen as neither men nor women. Their gender was questioned. Their sexuality was questioned. They were excluded in multiple ways. Now, there are those who argue today that we should see eunuchs in the Bible as queer, as queer identified, um, without other words to describe those with different gender and sexual identities, the languages at the time defaulted to the word eunuch. They didn't know how to describe other identities. Now, it may sound a little strange, but there's an interesting passage in, in Scripture that comes straight from the mouth of Jesus, that where he talks about eunuchs. In Matthew 9, 11, and 12, Jesus says, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, this is the subject of an entire sermon on its own, or a university paper, um, or a book. So we'll move on, but whatever you want to believe about what the word eunuch means in the Bible, suffice it to say that the Ethiopian eunuch would have been discriminated against on both the basis of race and gender identity. And there's some intersectionality there that we could unpack at another time. Now, Philip doesn't care. (laughs) Philip doesn't care that this is a person that he shouldn't be talking to. He comes right up alongside the chariot and initiates the conversation. And he gets up in the chariot and sits with this person that he wasn't supposed to sit with. And he shares about Jesus. 
And next thing you know, they're passing by some water, <clears throat> passing by some water, and the eunuch challenges Philip. Now we don't always think of that as a challenge. He's like, "Oh, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized?" But the way that he's saying it, like other translations say, "Why can't I be baptized?" Or what is to prevent me from being baptized? The way he puts it, it's like he's expecting to hear a reason. He's expecting to hear, well, here's why you can't be baptized. He was just in Jerusalem where he wanted to worship God at the temple. And he was likely told, no, you can't do that. You're not allowed in the temple. You're not even allowed to worship with us outside the temple. He was excluded and so there, he must have been expecting some way that this Jesus that he had just heard about wasn't for him. But Philip doesn't give the eunuch any reasons why he can't be baptized. He just baptizes him. He just does it. He gets down in the water and he baptizes him. He intentionally includes this person that was otherwise excluded. So he's ignoring all the clobber passages in the Old Testament all of the passages that would have said, don't associate with this person, he's ignoring scripture in a way and undoing a history of discrimination on the basis of gender identity. Now, what's interesting there is that he's also following scripture in a way. I want to read um, something here from Isaiah 56, which would have been just a further, a little bit further along from where uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in the book of Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, every one who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. I believe when God says all, he means all. So this is the third time we see Philip, and he's, again, intentionally including people who are discriminated against, excluded, and marginalized. And by the time we get to the fourth mention of Philip, the book of Acts is now about Paul, who was Saul. Um, remember Saul? Um, Saul killed Philip's friend, Stephen, one of the seven. But he's a good guy now, so it's okay. Um, now Paul is traveling around, and by the time we see Philip again, it's just, he's mentioned in passing. It's just two verses, but it's long enough for Philip to get inclusive again. At this point, Luke, who is the writer of Acts, as well as the Gospel of Luke, he's traveling with Paul. And he says, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. 
And that's it. That's just two verses. But verse 9 is a doozy. So Philip, as he was traveling around, it says in the last passage that he traveled until he reached Caesarea. Apparently, once he got to Caesarea, he, uh, he settled down from his wild evangelizing and baptizing Samaritans and Ethiopian eunuchs and everybody else. It seems like he met someone, and he got married, and he had kids. But Philip wasn't going to have just any sort of family. Not Philip. Uh, there's that verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, sometimes when we think of prophecy, we think about predicting the future. Um, we think about someone with a crystal ball or, or something like that. But that's not what prophecy means in the Bible. Sometimes a prophet would predict the future. But really, what a prophet was, was someone who delivered messages from God. They would proclaim truth. In other words, they're preachers. Prophets are preachers. When you prophesy, it's preaching. It's the same thing. Um, maybe some of the prophets would hear directly from God, but more often they were just about interpreting Scripture and saying what they believed God wanted for the people. So Philip's daughters were preachers. They were unmarried, so their lives were not defined by their relationship to a man. Um, like the widows who were in that first mention of Philip, that would have been tough, but they were preachers. Um, the Greek historian Eusebius, who wrote about the early church, he had a little bit more to say about Philip's daughters, suggesting that they, along with some other early prophets, they took over the apostles' ministry when they died, and and they recorded that people traveled great distances to hear Philip's daughters preach. It's also significant because many of the leaders of the early church were called prophets. People like Barnabas and Judas and Silas, they, they were called leaders of the early church, but they were also called prophets. They were preachers. And so it's likely that Philip's daughters, they weren't just preachers. They were also some of the most significant leaders in the early church. Now, today, in so many churches, women are barred from positions of leadership, barred from preaching. So this can seem incredibly progressive. But in this passage from Acts, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It's just mentioned in passing. Paul visits Philip, stays at his house, meets his daughters, and doesn't tell them to be silent in the church. And that seems significant because... That's where a lot of the passages about women being barred from leadership and barred from preaching, they come from Paul's letters. But Paul himself, in this moment, doesn't have anything to say about Philip's four unmarried daughters. And that brings to mind, uh, side note, this great bit from 2 Peter 3.16 about Paul. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. That seems significant. In any case, in Philip's fourth and final appearance in scripture, we see that he's raised his daughters as leaders and preachers, intentionally including them as leaders and preachers, battling against any discrimination they might have faced because of their gender. Now, I love Philip. <laughs> I, I love this guy because in just four brief mentions, we get this picture of him 
as someone that loved everybody and included everybody and didn't just include them in passing. He intentionally went out of his way to include others. Whether they were marginalized for being lower class or for their race, for being queer identified or their gender, he did not hesitate to include them in the body of Christ. He baptized those that others said should not be baptized. He taught to preach those that others said should not be allowed to preach. So I think in Philip, we see a picture of someone trying to bring about shalom. He saw a vision of the church as whole and complete and saw that that wholeness and completeness could not actually be whole and complete while excluding people and went out of his way to include people. So I think the church as a whole can learn a lot from Philip. And we as individuals can learn a lot from Philip. We need to look for the people that are being marginalized, talk to them like they talk to the Hellenistic Jews and and put them in charge of making sure that they were included. We need to recognize that marginalized people belong in the church. And not just recognizing that, but intentionally working to bring that about. That intentionality is, is such a big part of being inclusive. Not just, not just saying, oh yeah, you can come to church. But figuring out ways to remove barriers. Figuring out ways to remove obstacles. Going out to people and talking to them. Finding out their needs. What they need to feel included within the church. I think that Philip the evangelist has a lot to teach us in just these four brief stories. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Open Door Church. Our intro and outro music was created by Lee Rosevere and is used under a Creative Commons by attribution license. Have a great week. Ask the hard questions and explore God's love. Everyone is always welcome to join the journey with us at Open Door. Learn more at opendoorfamily.ca. That's opendoorfamily.ca.